Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to Help for HD Live, the first podcast created for families living with Huntington's and juvenile Huntington's disease. Don't forget to find us on iTunes, Blog Talk, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. You can also search over 500 archived episodes and other projects at helpforhd.org. To watch us in person, find Help for HD TV on YouTube and subscribe and ring the bell for notifications on new content. Help for HD Live is going on air in 5, 4, 3, 2, Hello everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to Help for HD Live. This program is made possible because of Teva Pharmaceuticals, Neurocrine Biosciences, and the Griffin Foundation. I'm your host, Lauren Holder, and today is our HD Uncut series, um, episode 9. So this is our... Uh, series for the HD community to come on and talk about their feelings on things and it is uncut, uncensored. And um, today I am actually going to be talking myself about uh, some of what I've been dealing with in my life. Um, You guys know some of it, but I recently celebrated my birthday on November 10th. I turned 38. And while I normally usually love my birthday, and if you look back at, at my Facebook posts, you know, I always share this big thing on um, on Facebook about my birthday and about the fact that I did my genetic testing in November and I got my results when I was 20 years old right before my birthday. So it's always been a very big um, time for me. Uh, and always post about the anniversary of not only my my birthday, but the anniversary of when I tested positive for uh, HD. And this year, I found it a lot harder to do. Um, in fact, I did not put a big post. I avoided social media. Um, for those who actually left a message on my Facebook, thank you so much for doing that. I totally appreciate it and appreciate all of you um, checking in or sending messages. Um, I will definitely say, like, I totally avoided social media this time around. Um, I am finding this year, this is the third year since Dad has been gone, um, and it's much harder this time. And, uh, you know, I I think last year was especially tough, but I'm still having these flashbacks, uh, which I was not expecting, um, time around and it's a a little harder this year it made me really kind of kind of void stuff Um, and I'm trying to work through that um, because I don't want my holidays to be ruined because of my my mood and my grief Um, but that being said, um, so my birthday was very low-key. I chose not to do anything. The highlight of my birthday was literally getting those Facebook messages. Um, I totally appreciate them. Uh, but I did nothing this year, and that's a big deal for me as somebody who has always celebrated my birthday. Um, there's, again, a couple reasons for that, big one being dealing with my grief. But the other part of it is this this part of I am 38 years old and, you know, where am I, you know, with HD? Like, 
it's a it's a big deal of I just one year closer to to all of the HD stuff when you're less down like I am losing time and the urgency of that situation really struck me this year um, very badly um, I had been talking to my husband about it you know and he said you know you've got great reasons to be happy and I'm like yeah but I also have this very big thing looming over me for my 38th birthday that I am running out of time. And, you know, those who don't know, I have received a diagnosis of neurocognitive disorder related to HD, so I am no longer considered pre-symptomatic. I am in the prodromal stage of HD. And um, that's hard. That's hard to admit. Um, it's hard to deal with when you functioned at a certain level your whole life and then having to admit that you can't function at that level any longer, um, that's been hard as well. So my birthday was really a realization of that, um, of the fact that I'm losing time, of this sense of urgency for research to move forward because um, I was literally having a conversation with somebody yesterday about the fact that, you know, a lot of times, a lot of times we um, we focus on research and say, you know, we're doing this for the next generation, so there's something for them. And I pointed out, no, I am participating in research because I want to be here. I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old, and I want to have a quality of life with them, and I want to be here for my kids. And so I am fighting for me to be here and uh, – I, and we keep hitting roadblocks, you know, like it's, it feels like it's not going fast enough or it feels like it takes uh, so much time to get things approved or they won't allow us to be in something because we're, quote, unquote, too healthy. That's what I was told, too healthy to participate. And, you know, they go, that's a good thing. Well, no, it's not because ultimately what you're saying is I have to be so symptomatic that brain can't recover before you'll even let me take the risk of of participating in things and that's ridiculous i should be able to participate now when my brain is at the best it can be because it's downhill from here and sucks doing that it sucks that um, i feel like being held back specifically me i'm being held back because of of the fact that they think I'm quote unquote too healthy, even though I've had testing that proves that I have deficits, even though I've received a, a positive genetic result that says I have Huntington's. So very frustrated this year. I'm sure that you can tell. Um, there's also other things going on in my life, obviously, um, friends that are dealing with um, crazy stuff, and there's always family drama, and of course that adds to things, but. I definitely feeling the grief this year in many aspects, the anticipatory grief for myself um, and the grief for my dad. And what I was not expecting was these flashbacks. Um, and I, I guess, you know, it's just a realization to me that caregiver trauma um, is a very real thing. And, um, and isn't I never understood a, a 
time of year affecting somebody so badly until I lost my dad because I just never understood these flashbacks and how how real it is and, and how it brings everything to the surface and all of those emotions. And um, so I am having a really hard time this year with this. Um, so with that being said, I'm having a hard time with how are my, my holidays going to look, right? And I'm sure that you guys are dealing with the same thing. Those that are caregivers, um, you know, there's anxiety on the part of the person with HD. I know that, um, you know, how's everybody going to look? How am I going to navigate this? Especially if you deal with fatigue um, and these other softer symptoms that we really don't talk about uh, and that really need to come to light because I think that um, people just don't even realize. Um, one of the big things that I've been focusing on is trying to educate more about executive dysfunction in HD because I think that people just associate executive dysfunction with pension deficit disorder um, or ADHD, and they don't realize, like, executive dysfunction is a thing in HD. It's one of the first things that you experience. And that, you know, that's what leads to problems at work because you can't um, can't plan things and organize things like you used to where you get stuck. You want to initiate something. You want to do something. You know it's right there and yet you can't do it. Um, it's the craziest thing. And then I'll sit there and I'll beat myself up because I'm like, I oh, I can do this, I've done it in the past, and yet here I am struggling to do it or I can't get something in on time because it takes me longer um, or, um, you know, I get tired a lot easier, which then gives me this major brain fog and I can't seem to push through uh, until I lay down for a while. Like I can't can't even process words completely when it happens and, um crazy it's like all of a sudden getting DHD out of nowhere well without the hyperactivity because I have fatigue but you get it what I'm talking about like if you have ADD you have ADHD like you've lived with it your whole life somebody who's never had it like I did and I know for a fact I didn't have it because of my neurocognitive testing that I did several years ago where they you know, they gave me a baseline, and I did not have any executive dysfunction. I didn't have any ADHD symptoms, and now do. And I'm trying to learn how to navigate life with it. And it's super hard when you, you know, you don't know what to do um, when you've never dealt with it. The other part of that is that where somebody with ADD or ADHD has it their whole life, it stays the same, right? Like it doesn't change for them, but for somebody with HD, those cognitive symptoms get worse. And I think, you know, that's what people don't realize. Like I say, oh, well, there's, you know, it's like having ADHD, ADD, where you stay the same, I'm going to get worse or I am getting worse. And so my symptoms will worsen and they all play a role together in being able to do things. Um, I'm having to learn how to accept help from people for the first time in my life. I am not somebody who does well accepting help. Um, I have always been the person that everybody comes to for help. And so I am greatly struggling with that in that I have to learn how to accept help and that it's okay to accept help. It's okay to rest. That's another thing I've never done. 
Um, as a caregiver, most people can understand that. It's 24-7, right? Like you don't stop caregiving. Um, and to be on the other side of it is very weird and having to rest um, when I feel like I should be able to just go, go, go. So it is a struggle because I tend to push myself and then I regret it later, um, which, you know, can't do. You can't continuously do that and expect to be okay. Um, so I'm dealing with that type of stuff. I'm dealing with the flashbacks, which, again, not expecting to have those. Um, and somebody brought up a good point that I should probably see a, a therapist who deals with PTSD and flashbacks and things like that to learn coping mechanisms, which I think is a great thing and something I'm going to look at doing. Um, but I am... I am already in this mindset of, man, I am dreading Thanksgiving, dreading Christmas. I really don't want to get together with my family for Thanksgiving. I just want to, you know, want to do something myself with my kids and, you know, and I've got to get out of that because I've got a three-year-old and a five-year-old and they, of course, want to do everything. And uh, so it, they are giving me a reason to push through those feelings, but it's super hard. Um, and I'm sure that a lot of you know what that having to push through grief and depression and anxiety. Um, you know, I notice now, like when I'm in a social situation, I tend to play with my hands or I wring them. Uh, I don't know why I do that, but it is something that I start doing, I guess, just because my social anxiety has gotten so bad um, and I just prefer, you know, one-on-one -on -one as much as possible unless I'm in a comfortable environment, people that I know and trust and um, I don't know, it's just a, a very different feeling. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of my life right now. I did go to Belgium recently. I was very excited about that. I told you guys about that. Um, and I'm very glad that I did that. Um, recovery time from that has been a, a struggle as well, but totally worth it. Um, you know, you got to do those in the lifetime trips, and especially when it comes to being able to talk to um, pharmaceutical companies. And because um, as long as we have a voice, we need to share it, especially now. Um, we are we're at a time, guys, where we're needing to push. Uh, for things to start moving faster, right, to get us to where we need to be. Um, and I think there's a lot of disappointment in that, you know, I'm 38 years old. I tested when I was 20, and, and it, there's still nothing, still nothing available other than for Korea. Um, and not only that, but you go to a neurologist and, and they say to you, um, oh, well, you don't have movement, so there's not really a reason for you to be here. So instead of being proactive about anything with my health, it's basically like, see you when you get movements. And it's up to me to find, like, things that I can do to help myself. Um, there was somebody last night, I was talking to them on a meeting, they brought up this really good point, like, there are eye movements in HD, and 
you know, it causes a lot of problems with balance and stuff. There are also ways that you can help those problems. Um, but you don't know that, right, unless you go search it out or you have a really good doctor who already knows this and is working with you. Uh, but a lot of times you don't get that. You don't have somebody who's proactive and and saying, okay, let's work on these things now. Um, just like my dad working on speech therapy and swallowing and things super early so he kept as much as possible until the end. Um those are things that we did early, and uh, again, it was brought up last night about about these eye movements, and I thought it was so cool that this person knew this um, and shared it and, you know, again, shows, like, there's stuff that can be done for those of us who are not dealing with movement. Um, you know, so much stuff out there could be modified for us where we could really be getting help and and it's not happening because we're diagnosing too late. And so it's leaving those of us who are in this prodromal state dealing with cognitive symptoms or those quote-unquote soft symptoms and not getting the help and resources that we need. Um, So that's very frustrating to be 18 years out from my genetic test be at a place where we're so far behind. Also seeing where other disease groups are getting things approved, we have the same type of, of things being researched in HD and we are struggling. We're struggling to get this stuff done and to get things, get people to listen and like we're not taken seriously. And it's driving me crazy. Um, it's absolutely driving me crazy. And I'm not just saying this out of a place of you know, my feelings, yes, but also after having conversations with important people, you know, in, in pharma and in research and in organizations and, like, why is this hurdle there for us? Why are we not able to move things forward like the ALS community? Why are we not to speak out and, and stuff like their disease groups and comes back to us, right? Like they keep saying, well, you got to push, you got to do it. Okay, fine. So you want me to get loud? I'll get loud if that's what it takes, but it takes more than one. And that's what I'm finding is there's really got to be this passion to make things change. And we are at a pivotal point right now in things, guys, where it needs to change. There needs to be this change in mindset with the HD community. Um, there needs to be this change in mindset with the neurologists and a change in diagnostic criteria to actually meet the needs of the disease. And there is a change that is happening in research that we are seeing, and that's in collaboration. We're seeing that researchers want to collaborate so they can get their studies done so we can get what we need. So I love seeing that happen. But we also have to get the other parts of this. You know, we have to get FDA to see that we're serious, that we're willing to take these risks before movements, and that um, voice matters. And that's kind of what what I've gotten to now that my birthday has passed is that I'm just ready to get loud. I'm ready to 
speak up and say, my time is now. I, I don't have the time to wait any longer. And so I need you guys to listen now and realize that in order for me to have a quality of life, in order for me to be here for my kids, I need to make this stuff happen now. When my brain is at the best point it can be, not my brain's already so messed up and hurt that I can't cover from it, that there's no benefit to me from these drugs that are being researched. Um, I am willing to take the risk. I'm willing to take on those risks with, with these, you know, these drugs because the risk of not doing so is being worse in dying. If this were cancer, would we be in the same place? We were dealing with cancer, and we were looked at as a brain cancer instead of a neurologic disease. Would we be dealing with the hurdles we are dealing with? Because basically, it's the same. I look at somebody with cancer, and they go, oh, yeah, we'll try something experimental for you. We'll, we'll do this even do it in kids, right? Like I've seen all of this happen. I worked in a cancer center pharmacy. I I saw these things and, you know, they'd be like, oh, well, you know, yes, we'll we'll help you with this. And then they look at HD and they go, prove this, 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 this. And the process takes a lot longer and nobody takes it with the urgency of a cancer or urgency of ALS or urgency of anything else. But the realization is that while we are waiting for these things to happen and we continue to wait, getting worse, we're losing our cognitive function and we're losing quality of life. And we could be keeping those things if we were moving things forward faster. And so I really am now, as I am 38 years old, I'm dealing with all of these feelings of grief, anticipatory grief, grief over my father, dealing with the feelings of trauma. Just realize how much that I have this urgency and I and I need these things to happen now. And so um, I'd love to know if other people are dealing with these things, if you've got these feelings and if you're, you know, if you're at a point where you're like, Forget this. It's time to get loud and time to really speak up about about these things and have our voice heard. Um, or if I'm just alone in that feeling, um, which is fine, um, I would definitely love to hear different perspectives. Um, that's just kind of where where I stand today. Um, so that being said, I do hope that you join me for a show later this month about coping uh, through the holidays. Um, we've done previous shows about this, and I am going to take from that as well, but I, it's going to be a newer show talking about coping through the holidays, um, you know, as we all navigate it, I, myself included, as I try to work through these feelings, um, and I know that I'm not going to be perfect at it. Um, but I hope that you will join me for that show as well um, as we try to work through the holidays and get to the other side um, or, you know, really talk about the things that help us get through it because, um, like I said, like my kids are truly 
uh, my reason. And, um, you know, we're doing an advent calendar this year. Um, going to be you know, really focusing on some, some different things like more lights at the house and more decorating and, and stuff. Those are things my dad loved, and I'm truly trying to bring it to my kids, especially this year because they both understand so well, um, you know, so I can stay out of that space of, of dark and grief and go into a hole and not come out. Um, you know, but I do ask that you guys have some patience with me and some, some grace over uh, the next couple months as I um, – I'm really finding that these flashbacks and these last months of when dad was alive, um, very much struggling with it. And uh, just there's so much that happened. And I, I look back, um, I don't know how I made it through. Um, I had somebody tell me, like, you should really share what it is that you went through as a caregiver, you know, because we all deal with all of that stuff. And I didn't realize I had shut it off um, because it, that was my how I survived. And I was looking, I was thinking back, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know how I did it. Like I just did. I completely changed my shift to a night shift, taking care of two babies because Odin was born in January of 2020. My dad started getting bad in 2020. Um, and it was right in the beginning of November that really realized like these were the last months um the doctors told us that you know he only had about six months to live dealing with a, another pneumonia he was getting weak um and i mean we were in and out of the hospital constantly um we're dealing with sundowning which is not even something that i i mean i knew as part of dementia but i didn't really think about it being part of hd um, so that was a huge surprise to me um, but I mean, I totally like switched my shift, moved my parents closer to me within 10 minutes. Um, so that, that way I had my space, but I also get to them whenever I needed. And I would go and help take care of my dad during the day and then work at night and also had the kids. And, um, of course during co like during 2020, it was all COVID. So, um, there's a fear of, of him going into a facility, um, which I didn't want to happen uh, just because of because of COVID, and I didn't want to be able to go in there, um, not go in there and and help. Um, so we were very limited. We got a we found an ICU bed, or Ash and I did, and my husband and I did found an ICU bed in a warehouse in a city in North Carolina. We went and picked it up, Ash cleaned it up completely, and we had an ICU in his apartment um, nearby and I mean it we didn't we weren't able to get nurses we weren't able very rarely we got CNAs to come out and PTOT to come out um, but it was a struggle it was such a struggle and I honestly I don't know how I made it through that time I know I wasn't sleeping <laughs> um, but just looking back and there were so many things that Caregiving was was really a terrible experience, um, not because of my dad. My dad was amazing. He was never, ever a burden to me. I would do it all over again. 
Um, but not everybody is caregiver, and um, this is one of the reasons that I say, like, if you are married, somebody with HD, and you don't think that you can do it, um, it's okay. It's bad. I personally believe that it is better to walk away at the beginning and to wait until the end, walk away when they're so sick and they don't have anybody in anything. Um, it just would be terrible to do that. So if, if it's something that you feel, and I, you know, I've told my husband, I'm like, if you want to walk away, that is okay. Um, so I've had these conversations with him, uh, but there are just some people who can't do it, and that's okay. Be willing to admit it and walk away, so somebody else can step in and do what needs to be done. Because what happens is, um, when you're not prepared to be a caregiver, when when you absolutely can't do it, and you keep crying and you burn out really fast but two you hurt that person hd um because you make them feel like a burden and that's not fair not to anybody so um obviously i do want to say like all caregivers at some point feel like this is too hard for me gosh i don't know that i can do this you know but not what I'm talking about. Those are fleeting feelings. I'm talking about if you resent your loved one and you resent being a caregiver and you do not, you literally just cannot do it, um, it's okay. Be willing to admit it and walk it away. Um, so for those who are interested in hearing my story on that, um, I'm happy to share um, offline. Uh, but it is still a trauma that I am working through. So um, that's all I'll share for now. But my experience is not good. And I, there's a reason that I switched my shift for my dad. There's a reason that I, I tried to be over there as much as possible um, because I wanted to make sure that my dad was taken care of and that he didn't feel like a burden. Um, and consequence of of what I went through and what I saw has also made me question how I'm going to be treated when it's my time. Um, So all of those feelings are stuff that I'm dealing with and trying to work through right now. Uh, Sorry, guys, I'm not trying to get so emotional, but um, it's all part of that trauma, and those feelings are very raw right now. So if you will just give me some grace as we go through these holidays, um, as I'm navigating this stuff with you and realize that um, we're all dealing with something and we just need to be kind and we need to listen and uh, be there for each other and support each other. That's so important during the holidays. But we'll definitely talk about that on another show. So it's good that I'm crying being that this is HD Uncut, but I was not planning on it. Um, anyways, I'm glad that you guys are listening um, you know, you guys are my family. You guys um, mean the world to me, and sharing my feelings, having people on that are sharing, you know, the same feelings or different feelings, but getting to voice it. So you guys, I will continue to do it um, because 
this is our opportunity to have a voice and really talk about the real HD. And that's why, you know, I created the series. Um, so that I will let you guys go. Um, you don't need to hear me <laughs> all sad anymore today, but um, I am hoping that these next few weeks will be a little easier than I'm dealing with right now. Um, if you do not see me on social media, don't freak out. I promise I will be back. But, uh, I'll try to continue to post and share stuff with you guys as I can. Um, anyways, until next time, guys, take care, and I love you very much. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to visit www.help4hd.org and sign up for our email newsletter to stay up to date on all that is going on at Help for HD. Get social with us and like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and subscribe to Help for HD TV on YouTube and ring the bell for notifications. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.